Can we listen to that one? No. <laughs> uh, we're still recording, so I'll just have you go one last time, okay. and I'll finish off the file. Okay. Hi, this is Shannon, and you're listening to The Good, The Pod, and The Ugly, Season 6, A Bigger Boat. We're reviewing the best and worst of Spielberg, and today is my choice, The Color Purple, and Indiana Jones, and The Last Crusade. Which is which, though? Which is your best, and which is your worst? For me, The Color Purple is the best. Oh. And Indiana Jones, the worst. Huh. (laughs) All right. Well, listen. Welcome back, everyone, to your favorite podcast. It's the Good, the Pod, and the Ugly. I am your host. Uh, no, it's it's the Good, the Pod, and the Ugly. Stephen, uh, uns Spielberg's a bigger boat. What's it called? A bigger, a bigger boat. boat. I'm your host, Jack. It is you, Junior. Um, no, Jack is what we <laughs> called the dog. This is Thomas, and we're uh, joined this week in the studio by Shannon. Hello. Great to have you. Great to be here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> great, great start, everybody. <laughs> we're, we're developing a rapport yeah, we, in real time. Yes, we had quite the uh, technical feats. Um, but yeah, uh, Shannon, this is your week uh, in the two movies that I... You chose these, right? <laughs> yes. Not under duress, not under duress at all. It wasn't um, that everybody else, like, it's like where they draw that line in, in cartoons and everybody else uh, steps backwards and, and then there's left. just one person. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. This week we have, uh, what, A Color Purple and Indiana Jones and The uh, Last Crusade. Yeah. It's The Color Purple. I don't know if oh, that matters, but. I, I'm moving off the article. A color, comma, purple. She's pushing her glasses up the bridge of her nose right now. <laughs> Um, hey, some, I had some ideas for this pairing for the title before we get, before we get too far into it. Okay. How about, how about the Knights went out in Georgia? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Alice and the Chalice. Ooh, that's good. Patty Cake, Patty Cake, Indy's dad. <laughs> Call me mister. <laughs> get in her pants. Because <laughs> oh, yeah, Jones, okay. And then the pants for okay so that Sealy makes yeah yeah okay. yeah. And my favorite, you've got chainmail. <laughs> That's wow. pretty good. That, I like that. Those are all good. good oh, job. thanks, thanks. Uh, so Shannon, thank you for joining us. Um, it's a little weird because um, last time I think uh, Jack and I recorded with somebody uh, was my wife uh, who did movies from the Ops. From after the millennium, and both of oh, her movies okay. are from the from the eighties. Um, so and then if people are asking. I think you asked, like, is Ken going to be joining us today? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, on one of our previous episodes, Kid thanked Hitler. 
at the end of the show. <laughs> and so he's been canceled. Uh, we had to go back through and erase a bunch of his presences in previous episodes. We're still catching up to that on the feed. Is this your first time um, watching either of these movies that you picked? No, no. Under no I, I watched both of the movies uh, back in the... 80s, 90s, so, but it, I hadn't seen either one of them in probably 15, 20 years. And uh, just for a little background, I think you're the person who introduced us to Truth Social, right? And and Get Her and all the other places that were on social media. <laughs> big, big fan. Do <laughs> um, you guys mind if we do the, the color purple first? or Because it's the first one in uh, release. Yeah, sounds good. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, real quick, did you watch either of these movies? Uh, I watched part of A Color Purple and I fell asleep. And I saw Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade on VHS like maybe three years ago. So I figured that that would be good enough. And I skimmed the Wikipedia for both. Oh, wow. So, yeah, you basically know these films. Uh, that <laughs> I'm the expert. Work. Yeah. Well, okay, so Color Purple. Yeah. I, I, which I, is I, The Color Purple. The Color Purple, yeah. I watched it last night, so it is fresh in my brain right I, now. I think you have to take us through this. Um, <laughs> so this is 1985. Uh, it was my first time watching it, um, I think, all the way through, like, earlier this week. Mm-hmm. After, um, Well... This is a surprise. This is nice. I have this one-man book club going on the podcast, and I guess it still holds true. You identify mm-hmm. as a woman, right? Um, so, I do, yeah. Still one-man book club, but mm-hmm. we both read the book yes. this week. So we can uh, help uh, disambiguate like what's new for Spielberg and what's new, uh, what's actually in the book itself. How does it uh, hold up compared to the Wikipedia page? Ooh. <laughs> um, I would say I would go Walker Top. Spielberg Wikipedia page is for both <laughs> entertainment and um, writing. Yeah, and, and depth okay. and depth and breadth. I Not think, that yeah. I'm a big fan of Minnow uh, Mayers. Mayers? Mayers. M- Minnow Mayers, the uh, screenplay writer for this for this film, this adapt- adaptation. I thought they I thought they did a good job adapting the book considering it was epistolary. Um, Which means by letters, Jack. Thomas and I were laughing before because I thought the movie followed the book pretty closely, and he just started cracking <laughs> up. So I guess we, we vary a little bit on that. Well, yeah. I mean, okay. So you have like, um, I mean, I guess Frankenstein's a long, is an epistolary novel. Um, Frankenstein, that's a great or the one. Modern Prometheus, I think. And but sure. like, it's based. It, it's like a small conceit in that, like. 300 pages or 200 pages, like uh, seven-eighths of the book or just one long letter, so crazily. Says, Dear Frankenstein. Yeah. And then, <laughs> <laughs> I it, so. no. <laughs> it's by the monster. It's just a but. <laughs> it's 300 pages, but just like one letter per page. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, no, that's a bit of a challenge is to translate a, first, just any type of book into sure. a, a movie. And I think usually short stories work better for that. And oh, then, I think it would be easy. To do this, to do this movie right? Or oh no, book? just to translate any book into a movie. <laughs> you should start doing it because people, I think, they need help because it's not always well. I mean, successful. All the words are already there, so all you have to do is anyway. I I have a whole thing I could go on, but well, I think like um, some of the in the Nicolas Cage series, like uh, there were some pretty good adaptations, like Joe. I think they did a pretty good job of, but I think you have to like try to make it your own, and so like adaptation. 
uh, like adaptation. Mm. A great, great movie about the orchid thief. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, so yeah, I guess 85 would be the year before Manhunter for a Michael Mann podcast. Um, mm-hmm. there was no cage this year. There was only, Ooh. it was because, because it was between the Cotton Club and Peggy Sue. There was, uh, Hell Rider was the only movie being done by, uh, Eastwood. And, okay. and it's like a year before Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, if you want to follow on a Dennis Hopper uh, series. <laughs> okay. Um, or a Toby Hooper. So this is a 85. There's not like a lot. I mean, I guess we'll talk more about the year of 85, maybe in cinema, when we talk about the Academy Awards. I'm Ooh. curious to know a little bit more about the book, because the book was a uh, Pulitzer Prize winner, a National Book Award winner. And this is my first time reading it. I think I read some, I, I can't remember what other Alice Walker I've, I've read. It might have just been some short stories back in grad school, but uh, you've read at least more than this, right, Shannon? I have, yeah. I read a lot of her books back in college. Um, I was taking a lot of women's studies classes and getting into a lot of writers uh, alongside Alice Walker, so I read quite a few of her books. I haven't read uh, any of her stuff since then, though. So there's been a long time since I'd read this book, but I thought it held up. I, I really, really enjoyed it. A lot of people haven't enjoyed it though, because it's, it's been on uh, number 17 on the American Library Association list of most hundred most frequently challenged books because of this explicit content. Challenged, like trying Ooh. to get it out, like, banned. censored. Yeah, banned. Yeah. From just public libraries, or I mean, what? I mean, probably know? school and public libraries. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's been a little bit. It, it was considered edgy. Um, yeah, I was wondering if it wow. was edgier when it came out, because it didn't come out like in 80, 82, maybe? 82, yeah. yeah. Okay, so it had a very short turnaround between when it came out and when Spielberg Three years. made it. Yeah. yeah. But I think because it was such a widely popular book with a Pulitzer and the National Book Award that it was probably hot property. And she'd only written two novels prior to that and some short story collections, but over the span of her career, she's written 17 novels and 12 works of nonfiction, so she's very prolific. Still- Does she have anything to do with Walker, Texas Ranger, or is that completely different? She was probably an executive producer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was looking, I, I did find a, a connecting thread between Alice Walker and Indiana Jones and oh. The Last Crusade. Yeah, no, I was Ooh. thinking about this earlier. Yeah. Um, so when Spielberg decided he kind of wanted to do this film, um, uh, Quincy Jones, mm-hmm. who uh, did the music for it, uh, introduced him. And wait, are Indiana Jones and Quincy Jones related? <laughs> well, I was browsing Quincy Jones's Wikipedia. I think he did the music for the Italian Job, but I might be wrong about that. So I mean, you have the um, the Wiz. Uh, um, Mahogany, and I can't think of the third one in that trailer. Oh, um, The Last Dragon as the big uh, movies of the early, uh, late 70s, early 80s that were um, like a whole black cast. Uh, Mahogany has um, Anthony Perkins in it, of course, but oh, okay. otherwise. The Wiz is uh, the Michael Jackson um, adaptation of yes. uh, The Wizard of Oz. My dad had the album. It's a good I, album. I loved looking at the cover. Yeah. I just thought as a kid it was fascinating. Um, yeah. So were those the connections that you were talking about? No, my connection was anti-Semitism. What? Wait, with who? What? Yeah, so as we know in Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, or maybe if you haven't watched it, you don't know, but uh, the the Nazis (laughs) are the bad guys. And they're... Wait. (laughs) Yeah, they are the bad guys. (laughs) That's not cool. Yeah. And uh, so the... 
you know, we'll get into that movie later. But uh, just keep, can they stereotype? Keep Nazis in your, <laughs> in your brain when I tell you that um, Alice Walker has all had her own brush with anti-Semitism within the last ten years. Oh, wait, she's uh, been considered an anti-Semite. She, um, in an interview in 2013, expressed her appreciation for the British conspiracy theorist David Icke. Okay. That of the uh, theory that the Earth is ruled by shape-shifting reptilian, reptilian, sorry, reptilian humanoids and Rothschild Zionists, uh, stating that wow. one of his books, which has a lot of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, would be the one book she would have if she could only choose one. What? <laughs> <laughs> This is the same Alice Walker? Yep, yep. Um, And she published an anti-Semitic poem on her blog in 2017. Um, How how anti-Semitic? Are we talking like Borat style, (laughs) like horns and... the, uh, The poem is titled, It is Our Frightful Duty to Study the Talmud. And it's been described as explicitly anti-Semitic. So that was my connection that I made between... The two movies? <laughs> the, you know, the, yeah, the two movies. Wow. I was kind of bummed to find that out, um, just because I've always considered Alice Walker this kind of feminist icon. And, um, you know, she, she coined the term womanist, which was, um, to mean a black feminist or feminist of color, kind of introducing the idea of um, intersectionality into feminism. And so um, just to hear this, I was like, ah, Alice, oh no. Like, so that would be a split, like, um, from just the general idea of uh, feminism as um, like an umbrella for all, like for the 51% of the population that's woman instead, trying to understand like like that means different things based yes, off of and uh, I, I think also just what your to, ethnicity or what uh, yeah. society you're being brought up in. Yeah, and trying to maybe center black women within feminism because feminism has a pretty history a history of being pretty racist so that's weird because here's maybe one of my issues with the film which i guess we'll get into here in a moment basically you you get steve you get steven spielberg making a film with an all-black cast which is great right or a predominantly black cast uh about subject matter which of course none of us were alive in the 1900s uh so he like we can't find anything more authentic than that but when he says things like, I didn't have to go to Mars to be able to make E.T., or maybe Quincy Jones attributed that to him, that he can make like, everything that's basically, he can make any, he can make any film because he has the imagination to do so. He doesn't need to, okay, let me give you an actual quote, <laughs> okay? Uh, he says that this movie ties into his other movies because of the uh, themes of family and children. It links to my previous movies and it portrays the urgency to fulfill a dream. Is that in the book at all? I don't think there's an urgency to fulfill a dream in the book. The book's about like religiosity and like spiritual awakening and seeing the world. You, there's more to you in the, in what well, you're going to. Well, I mean, I think fulfilling a dream for Celie meant being reunited with her sister and that her sister was alive. Like finding out that her sister was alive was a big. But that's not really like a fulfilling a dream, is it? Like, and, but he also no. said that this was his. My people picture. It's not a black movie. It's a movie about people everywhere. 
All lives matter. Yeah, that's what it feels <laughs> like, right? I mean, uh, yeah. one of the reasons that he wanted to do this film, apparently, as well, is that he wanted to get back to character movies. So he said that he had 11 characters in the movie 1941. If you haven't seen 1941, don't worry. Nobody has. Okay. It was the movie that he bombed so heavily on that he almost couldn't make Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, wow. Or okay. any other film. Well, I think Meg's a big fan, right? Oh, yeah. Meg and I are going to watch that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I'll talk about it. But yeah, so he he wanted he had eleven characters in 1941. He wanted to try and do that again. Okay. Have a movie with a bunch of characters. I mean, that's pretty common for movies, right? Yeah. <laughs> and why choose this book to do that with? Well, it does have a lot of really excellent characters. I mean, I think. Okay. I, I can dig it. Like Sophia and Harpo and uh, of course Celie and Shug. Like they're all. I mean, there's a lot of really great characters. So. Okay. Why not? Well, let's maybe was, the difference between the book and the let's let's go through the plot maybe. Sure. Because I think okay. I think that's where it's going to be a little bit different. Let me just if I could just read the very first part of the book. Sure. Because I, I I read this and I was like, whoa, how is how is this going to be a Steven Spielberg film? Because this time instead of like War Horse, where I watched the movie and then tried reading the book from and trying to see it from the horse's perspective and not being able to do so, <laughs> just seeing the movie in my head, uh, I read the book first. The first part of the book starts off with uh, everything's addressed, dear God. Because they're like letters that uh, are being read in to God. Then it eventually goes to her sister whenever she starts to get letters from her sister. And they have this relationship sending them back and forth. Well, they're not actually Even though they're not actually getting them. them. Yeah. Dear God, I am 14 years old. I am, cross through, I have always been a good girl. Maybe you could give me a sign letting me know what is happening to me. Last spring, after little Lucius come, I heard them fussing. He was pulling on her arm. She say, it too soon, Fonzo. It ain't well. Finally, he leave her alone. A week go by, he pulling on her arm again. She say, nah, I ain't gonna. Can't you see I'm already half dead on all these children? She went to visit her doctor over at Ma- uh, Macon. Left me to see after the others. He never, di- he never had a kind word to say to me. Just say, you gonna do what your mommy wouldn't. First, he put his thing up against my hip and sort of wiggle it around. Then he grabbed hold my titties. Then he pushed his thing inside my pussy. When that hurt, I cried. He started to choke me. He said, you better shut up and get used to it. And it goes on. That's page one Thomas, of the book. That's page one of the book. Have you ever considered, like, uh, audiobook work? Like, voice work? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to try and do my Sean Connery voice for that. But it's hard. To <laughs> no, but it's also written in dialect, which makes it very easy. It's a rhythm to the book that has you have it in your head, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. If that was cringeworthy, I think, like, having her dad at 14... Impregnate her twice. Impregnate her a couple times. Mm -hmm. And it's very graphic in the book as well, right? Like, it's not... This movie opens with purple font. (laughs) That color purple. And it's purple. It's great. Yeah, it might have been a prince, kind of. Oh, okay. That would be awesome. (laughs) I wish Prince was in the film. (laughs) He was too busy making, what, um, Purple Rain? Yeah, probably. The Color Purple Rain? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> bring it together. But yeah, it, so it will open like with like this sweeping shot of fields. Yeah, right? with purple flowers. And purple flowers and then patty cake. Yeah. Um, which, in the book, no patty cake. No, I think Ooh. I think they were doing a very good job, though, of illustrating the affection between the two sisters and okay. that they were children because it's revealed after they've been running through the flowers for quite a while, they come out. And Celie and Nettie and Celie is hugely pregnant. And you mm-hmm. haven't been able to see that while they were just kind of frolicking through the flowers together, looking like children. So it's kind of a, I thought it was a good way to reveal 
that even though they're still children, obviously something fucked up has been happening. Um, mm. And then right away she's giving birth. The dad is skulking around outside. And then after she has the baby, he comes in and takes it, just takes it away. And she's very yeah. upset. In the book, it's understood that like that baby is just going to be like left out and killed, right? Even though later we find out that that's not the case. Yeah, she doesn't know what's happened. I yeah, think, but she's yeah. just assumed, I think, that the baby's been that yeah. murderized. Yeah. Killed. It's pretty sad. Yeah. It's a harrowing start. Um, and I think the movie softened it. You think? Well, you but think it's often? actually, so you brought up Quincy Jones, and I felt like the score was, at least for the first third of the movie, I just felt like it was very heavy handed to the point where they were like, boop, 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 over like pretty grim <laughs> stuff. And I thought yeah. like, they were trying to lighten up stuff that was not light. And I thought this yeah. feels like a Steven Spielberg movie to me. Totally. Well, the first, the first thing that they ever shot, um, the first, um, scene that they shot was the, um, scene at what's um the son's name who grows up harpo harpo at harpo's place where it feels a lot like hook or uh maybe always where you have people hanging up from the rafters and and just, yeah it feels a lot like a set it feels a lot almost like the muppets or something like the aesthetic's <laughs> really weird but that was the first thing that they shot one of the reasons that they did so was this is the first film the Whoopi Goldberg. This is like Whoopi Goldberg's first acting, oh, which was it? she's a she's amazing, and yeah. Oprah Winfrey as well. Yeah, Oprah. Uh, um, they got they saw her uh, show. It wasn't called the Oprah Winfrey Show at the time. It's like Good Morning Chicago or something. And they're like, "Oh, I want her." Originally, they had uh, wanted Tina Turner. I'm gonna say no. They wanted Tina Turner for Shook. Oh, okay. Of course, they asked her three different times. For like, Oprah Winfrey was cast from that, and Alice Walker had seen um, Whoopi Goldberg's One Woman Show and was floored by it, and asked her to come perform in front of uh, Spielberg. Like, Spielberg called her in to see to have a performance, and she did this bit where uh, ET, I think, gets addicted to crack or something. <laughs> Which they asked her not to do, but she just threw it in anyway. Um, and she still got the job. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I thought she did a wonderful job. She's I phenomenal. Re- I didn't realize it was her first movie. Yeah. And she would go, I mean, she's, we of course we call, you know, we have our, uh, our whoopee bag, um, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, her next movie would be Penny Marshall's Jumping Jack Flash. That's, I was going to say, yeah, I thought that 86. was her first movie. So No, yeah. this is her first movie and cool. she, she kills it. And what one, I think maybe something that Spielberg did her benefit for, or uh, did well by, maybe as a director, um, uh, like a good directorial decisions, he ended up cutting 25% of her lines <laughs> and using, and using her, Nonverbal oh, and okay. looks mm-hmm. and expressions versus having to say things out loud. Yeah. Because she says so much just with her face. It's amazing. And yeah, because of that, and then like Jumping Jack Flash, by the time Sister Act 2 came around, directed by, oh, uh, Bill Duke, right? She would be the highest paid actress in Hollywood for that nice. film at the wow. time. So in a, in a studio system that doesn't really pay well, uh, marginalized communities, like it's pretty crazy that. She was as popular as she was, and I think that this movie helped like establish it. She would get nominated for an Academy, uh, and, and then win on her second nomination uh, for Ghost. Oh, Ghost, right? Yeah. Um, I think this movie had the highest number of nominations without any wins. Yeah, it the year been, it came out. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that. Was, that. I, I just remember seeing that. I'm like, oh, because it, it created a very petulant. Um, Spielberg. Oh, did it? Yeah. Because oh, he wasn't even nominated for 
Best Director, yeah. no. Which I think is appropriate. When you only get five nominations, I don't think that this was a very well-directed film. Uh, we haven't gotten Hot very take. far oh, into yeah, so. <laughs> it. Yeah. So what happens next? Like there's... Uh, adventure that flashes forward, right? Well, so Danny Glover starts sniffing around the homestead for Nettie, and the the pause, like, well, you can't have Nettie, but you can have this other ruined daughter of mine, uh, Celie. And so he takes Celie home. And ruined because she's ugly. No, because she. No, no, no. I mean that's what that's how. It, but it's also how it's said in the book, right? Like, Shug's not the only person to call her ugly. Like, she calls herself ugly. Multiple people will say that she is just an yeah. unattractive woman. Yeah, but he he specifically says that she's ruined. She's had two kids mm-hmm. already, and she's not fertile anymore because she's messed up. Danny Glover takes her home. He has an amazingly huge number of children. Like, at one point, there are ten kids running around well, on this homestead. It yeah, is I had that written down somewhere. It was like a flash mob of kids. It's a little bit like whenever in um, War Horse, all those people are just hanging out watching the horse plow. Said, Where did all the kids come from when Nettie is being kicked out after yeah. the joke right. rape scene, maybe? Oh, yeah, I called it the Joker rape scene. So, uh, this is when Danny Glover's, like, riding next to her on the horse. Yeah, I mean, you skipped ahead a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's fill in the gaps then. Oh, okay, well, to. no, just, so, Celie is brought in, she has to clean up this terrible kitchen, which is one of the scenes where I thought the score really just was, it was like, she walks in, she's chattel, she doesn't have any freedom, and it, this kitchen is filthy, and it, she starts scrubbing the wallpaper, and there's like, dun, 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 and, then, <laughs> and the kitchen's clean, and I'm like, she had to probably work four days to get that clean and they just make it seem like oh wow well you haven't seen that Nicolas Cage movie where he doesn't talk for the whole film help me out John <laughs> Wonderland Willy's Wonderland uh, Willy's Wonderland yeah, yeah. no is yeah. that relevant is that relevant yeah because his job is to clean up Willy's Wonderland <laughs> and he does so in one night and he gets oh, okay. a pinball in there okay yeah okay, so, so I think she could do it if, yeah she if, does if, so eventually well she just needs those purple energy drinks that is actually what I'm drinking right now. I'm drinking <laughs> ghost energy drink. Ghost energy drink. Wow. Yeah, it's ghost. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, Nettie comes and stays with them because Pa is now trying to um, sleep with her. Mm. And so then the sisters are just enjoying each other's company. like Patty nobody. cake all the time. Yeah, patty cake all the time. They're learning to read together and Nettie's teaching. So oh, yeah. Read. Which is not in the book. It is. No, in the book, it's just that she's a better... Like, there's no putting the um, plastic things with the name of whatever you're looking at. No, but they, but Nettie does teach her to read in the book. So, the, I thought that was a very nice scene. I really enjoyed that. Where they have the piece <laughs> of paper. Stalking! Yeah. Um, but then it turns out that... What, she saves one of them, right? Sky. Sky. Yeah. Okay. But then uh, now it gets to your Joker uh, rape scene. Where, yeah, I guess Danny Glover, who... The next year, he's going to make Lethal Weapon. Mm-hmm. I can see it, so. I can and he, see it. And he looks pretty young in this. It doesn't seem like he's able to say, uh, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> True. But we cover all that on Danny Glover. We didn't even go into it right now. If the Glover fits our other podcast. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's like, um, he canter, he canters by on his horse and she's running to school and she's like, Oh no, Oh no. And she's trying to get away from him and he hops off his horse and then appears out of the bushes tips, doffs his hat, which is huh? full of petals, flower yeah, petals. Romantic. As if it's, as if it's very charming. And she's like, ah, I gotta go to school. It, nope. it reminded me of the energy of uh, uh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker 
uh, in the restaurant scene of the first Batman. Yeah. Yeah. I think that scene would have been better if Danny Glover had a flower on his lapel and she like leaned in to smell it and he squirted water at her. <laughs> or sweet tea. <laughs> <laughs> Lemonade. So Nettie has to go uh, because he decides that if she's not going to put out, she's got to get out. And it's this very harrowing scene where he's bodily dragging her out and off the property. And all these kids are there. So like, many. So many more. kids. Like, you, like they drop water on them and they just multiply I was like, are they, are they, is this a daycare? And they have other kids from the, the <laughs> it was bizarre. Yeah, I guess that some of the staging there, I was wondering if it was made for television. And I think that Spielberg actually said that he, this is one of the few movies he didn't ever storyboard. So he ended up uh, framing a lot of it like a play and then letting the, um, doing a lot of the blocking and doing things on set, trying to figure it out as it was going along. And it, it just doesn't. I don't know. There's touches that feel very Spielbergian. Like, um, there's a lot of that. They do a lot of show, uh, the shadows where the shadows are what you're seeing as mm-hmm. opposed to the people. But there's also, um, like when she's, Nettie's eating that apple. No, it wasn't Nettie. Um, Celia's eating the apple. Um, Celia's eating the apple and she's looking through the window that's oh, yeah. frosted. Mm-hmm. Like that, that feels great, but it also feels like it's a different film. Yeah. It felt like the book was very bleak. Like it, I, I guess I kept having like a sense of like crops weren't easily just growing in the ground. It took a lot of work, and down, definitely um, the Danny uh, Glover character was lazy in the book yeah. and refused to work. And you, and Sally had to like do all the work, mm-hmm. and you don't quite get that in this film. It's just like it seems like things just grow on their own. Like yeah. it doesn't, right. there's not the toil that there is in the book. I don't know how you depict that on screen either. But well, still. I was shocked by you reading that opening because the tone of even just that opening paragraph or whatever of the book is so much different from the tone of, and I didn't watch the whole thing. I fell asleep, but it's so much different from the tone of anything I saw in the movie. And I think that is really just down to Spielberg's direction. And I think it's like, the classic Spielberg problem. I don't think he can help himself. I don't know. At some points, this did feel like Hook or Always than maybe Schindler's List, and maybe it should have felt a little closer tonally to Schindler's List at some points. Yeah, well, whenever we cover Schindler's List, we're actually going to have one of our black lesbian friends come on and talk about the Jewish experience during the Holocaust. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like Steve, <laughs> Steve didn't stay in his lane for this film. Um, I'm glad. Yeah. Here's what I'm glad. I don't know if I would have read the book necessarily, if not for the movie. And I think probably Alice Walker feels something similar, even though, um, and she was on set for a lot, large part of it. Bilberg made, asked some questions like, can I bring my children onto this set at different, like, can I put my children in the movie? I want to be in the movie. He wanted to, like, have some of his friends in the movie, and Walker was like, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't, I'm going to veto that. I mean, I enjoyed how there were barely ever any white people in this movie. Like, it, a Which lot is of... going to make it hard for Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, at the end of the podcast, <laughs> I ask you who Daniel Day-Lewis would have played in oh, both films. well, the mailman. Okay. That's redundant. Aren't all males men? Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> that was just one of the few... How about the letter carrier? Yeah. That's what, yes. Oh, okay. That's what I mean. The post, <laughs> office worker? Yeah. The postal the, worker? The letter carrier. Yeah, okay. That's, the mailman. I'm going to answer it just right now, preemptively. Oh, okay. Uh, he could also be the store clerk. Sure. That was a... Are you going to oh, buy anything, gal? Whoa! We got the store clerk right here in the studio! <laughs> I was going to mention that scene, actually, because that's something that really bugged me, is that he, like pops into frame 
and it feels like something from, like, you're saying, like, the Muppets or something, or it feels like it's treated <laughs> as a joke, or, like, very lightly, and she runs out of the store. But, like, that to me, it's like, that guy asking her that realistically would be, like, scary for her. Yeah. And it seems like in the movie, it's, like, just this fun thing. It's like, uh-oh, the guy asked well, if you're going to buy something. Talking about fun things, we haven't quite got there in, in like, where we've been cut out. But, I, I mean, one thing that upset me was you have this Forrest Gump-style poster that floats through the air until it hits the screen door and it's for Shook coming to town. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the leaf, or I'm sorry, the feather in Forrest Gump, but it, like, you follow it around. It's one way, one of the ways of transition. Harpo, there's a, I think that one of my few things I liked about it was this was a great cut with Harpo where like um, he says something like, I won't, and then there's a cut, and he goes, and he's, he's getting married to the Oprah Winfrey character. Sophia. And he's, Sophia, and he's like, I will. Like he didn't, he said the wrong, do you remember this cut at all? What am I? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it was when it was it was when she was like, "Well, don't make me wait long," because he's being a wiener when he's. Oh, he tries it. He brings her to the house. Yeah, to and meet then her, and she, then okay. it skips to their wedding, which obviously time has gone by because uh-huh. she isn't pregnant now. She is holding the baby, so yeah. Um, which I thought was okay compared to the novel. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think Oprah Winfrey just carries that scene. Yeah. Like she, that she, this is her first acting, and she even said at one point she. Apparently, she um, regretted not taking acting lessons <laughs> prior to showing up. She was somewhat um, intimidated by Danny Glover and other people on set until the scene, which a lot of it was improvised, of the dinner scene. Whenever she's back out of jail to skip ahead a little bit, oh, and they're yeah. having Thanksgiving or Easter dinner, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving dinner, I guess. And uh, Steven Spielberg let her improvise a lot of that. Like At different times, she was supposed to be able to cry on cue, and she couldn't. And so... Um, the guy who plays um, Danny Glover's dad, that actor, um, his name is escaping me. Yeah. Gosh, what's his last name? Uh, uh, Caesar. Uh, Adolf Caesar. Adolf I think. Caesar. Yeah. Okay. Pulled her aside and like, gave her some tips. This is both their first movies is remarkable. I mean, you, I mean, you could say Steven Spielberg had a, helped with that. I mean, I don't yeah. know how much uh, you give to directors on this podcast. If you give them. Well, I mean, I guess the hard part is <laughs> like... Uh, I guess I mentioned it's it's hard to say that this movie would have gotten made by anybody other than Spielberg because it's too early for like Spike Lee and um, uh, Singleton. Mm-hmm. Like Singleton's not even in college yet. Uh, Bill Duke's around, but he's mainly doing like television stuff. I guess he have like, and then yeah, maybe Gordon Parks or something. You just don't really have like uh, any African Americans making films. I wonder and, why that was. I don't know. Do you think there might have been a system that was maybe. <laughs> I, Tipping the scales a little bit. I, I think that it just wasn't interesting. So that like to the widest <laughs> guy had to make the movie. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I mean, maybe mm-hmm. this movie wouldn't have gotten made, or maybe it would wait a while to get made. Um, apparently, yeah. it's get, they're doing the musical, and Amblin uh, is helping produce it. The musical is supposed to come out maybe next year. Oh, okay. Uh, film adaptation. So maybe that, and then there was there's a black director behind that. So maybe that would help. Okay. I wonder, so one difference between the book and the movie that I am remembering now um, was that they kind of cut out the whole lesbian um, aspect of the book and just, <laughs> just didn't really so, include that, except for little kisses on the face. Where did you, how did you watch this? What platform did you watch it on? Amazon. Oh, I'm sorry. So I got it from Monoma County Library, shout out, mm-hmm. the DVD. Shout out. And it's the craziest thing. Um, so occasionally uh, there's some type of uh, technology gremlin that lives in the podcasting studio that makes it to my uh, television and it will turn off occasionally. 
um, if I'm watching something for a long period of time. So the screen will turn off. So that happened while I was watching it. Then it gets to the lesbian scene, which is really just some kissing. Which yeah. There's an impl- implication of something more that's going to happen. Steven Spielberg said that it looks very different on screen than it does in books. And there was no way he was ever going to show the vagina scene with like looking at, uh, like looking at her womanhood with using a mirror. So Whoopi Goldberg like goes into kiss maybe, or maybe it's the, um, actress playing Shook goes into kiss. Maybe the camera pans away to like a wall or something. I can't remember exactly. Then all of a sudden everything turns off. And this is after the television turned off once already. The disc, this, the DVD, you have to flip. It's like a laser disc format. You have to take it out and flip it to watch the other half of the movie. And I felt like it was just like censored. Yeah. I, I was watching it because I went and like, no, I was no, looking too at it. Hot, too yeah, hot. yeah, yeah. The end of the like the last chapter on that disc was that. Like you can't get any further on that side, and then you have to flip it around to to watch the rest of the film. Oh, I was just going to say in the book, I think it's a really important part of Celie's growth is to realize that the reason she's sex life has just been brutal and you know non consensual, but also she does not like dicks. Yeah. I mean she she all. says it's like he's throwing up on her or something or using well, no, her like a toilet. No, she says he's she doing say? his business on me. Yeah. And Suge says, It sounds like you think it's like he's going to the toilet on you and she's like, That's what it feels like. Yeah. And then right. and but then Suge basically says this is your clitoris. Yeah. Look at, you know, you're beautiful, everything. And they just have this wonderful relationship that goes on for years. Well, she teaches her, like, how to masturbate as yeah. well. And, and and they snuggle and they have yeah. this whole relationship. And in the book, it's like they're just and good friends. There's even lesbian bed death in it, right? Like, they get together mm-hmm. and then, like, she kind of falls apart. But Suge also likes, I mean, she's bisexual, apparently, sure. right? Yeah. She also likes the um, Danny Mr. Glover. The mm-hmm. Danny Glover character and enjoys the pipe that he lays yes. like yeah uh and so that's why she's so shocked that um Celia doesn't say yeah. doesn't like the sex interesting yeah well they have the, the same sexual partner and she's like i love it and so yeah. he's like why would spielberg make this at all if he's just going to sanitize everything that sounds really interesting and well written about the i book? mean that's what Is i mean it- that's what like you know, cinema is always saying there are limits to what we really want you to talk about, right? I mean, I just think that they're like, okay, it's a black movie, but even then we're going to maybe try to, like, sanitize it a bit, and they're like, black lesbians, no way, you know, it's too far, right. people aren't going to get it, it's going to turn people And he off. wanted that Academy Award. He, he Spielberg, th- this is from Spielberg, the man, the movies, the mythology, by Frank Sinelio. <laughs> Spielberg defended the hard edges of the novel by saying... If you're a nightclub entertainer, do you want to perform for three drunks or for a packed house? Any artist wants to the largest possible audience. And so that's why he took the edges off of the novel. There you go. <laughs> well, he sucks. <laughs> well, here's something that he smartly did. Um, Oprah, uh, Oprah's character, apparently they shot a scene and Oprah was like, I don't think this works out very well. Like, I don't think you should include this, Steve. Um, where her and um, Harpo have the fight that he talks about later about getting kicked by a horse or a mule mm-hmm. or something. They actually showed that. And it was very, very slapsticky. And I'm just mm-hmm. thinking about always in my head as, as they're talking about this and the, the Quincy score over it. <laughs> and <laughs> it, yeah. And it just sounds terrible, like a terrible yeah. idea. Um, well, that's interesting that they had the wherewithal to take that out because that there is that scene where um, Danny Glover's like getting dressed, and I think it's like one of the first time jumps, maybe. 
and he's like running around and it is very slapsticky. It's like, where's my sock? Oh no, my sock has a hole in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, I think what it's supposed to show is that after like years of this or whatever that she has gotten like very meek or like had learned how to deal with him. But I think what it comes off as to me is like almost treating it again like something that's funny or lighthearted when it really isn't. It's kind of horrifying. Yeah. Well, and, and the it, book is that way. The book doesn't like lighten up at all. No. He did, his redemption, which is kind of lost in the movie. It's changed around in the movie. Yeah. In the yeah. movie, he like they just become old people and they're old friends. They and they're become, able to yeah. bury the hatchet. And that's kind of a thing in the past for them. And he helps her sew some pants. Yeah, they become they become sewing partners. But in the movie, he he gets the letter from immigration and takes money in, and I guess uh, facilitates the return of Nettie and the family. Which it's not really clear like what he's well, doing with the money, like what yeah. he needed to pay. But I don't know if we need to talk much more about like the different parts, uh, like of the of the movie, like uh, of the plot. But one of the big things, it's also not well. Obviously, there's no music in the book. Just <laughs> really, yeah. Uh, this is one of those books where, like, you pull a little, like, you open one of the pages and it starts to sing to you. Those are uh, cards usually yeah, like for like cards. birthdays. Oh, I love those. Cards. Yeah, but the whole scene, like, uh, the preacher isn't really in the book, is he? No, that's like a new character that they added. The preacher, the Shug's dad. Who's Shug's dad? Yeah, that's not in the book. That's not in the book at all. Therefore, also the scene in the church where they're singing the at Harpo's new place or wherever that is out on the dock the gin joint the gin joint and then they come together inside the church all that is pure pure Spielberg and Mm -hmm. it feels like it it doesn't feel like this book yeah they skipped over a lot of Nettie's African plot line I think to put that in yeah female circumcision they cut that out scarification they show but they don't also okay so these two children the two children show up at the end are Silvio's children Mm -hmm. raised by Nettie no yeah yeah, raised by Nettie who went with two missionaries to Africa the missionaries had adopted the children and Nettie came along because it turns out that in the book at least Samuel knew that she was the aunt of the kids and so kind of said let's be let's Stay together, you come with us. And yeah. one of the interesting and great things about the uh, the book is that when they're in Africa, the Africans have no idea like what's going on from the African-American experience. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you guys sold us. That sucks. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we didn't do that. that. That was generations ago. We don't care about like America and what you're going through. Like We're just trying to get through. We're trying to survive the, uh, the British, maybe, coming mm-hmm. through with the road that they're building and tearing down. Uh, tearing down everything that they love, including like their sacred trees for, or the trees that they use for their uh, thatching to plant, what, rubber plants, I think it is? Yes. And so, yeah, you lose all that. They go to England at one point, like they have a lot of travels that are all covered in the letter. The end of the film, it doesn't make any sense to me that if they've been raised in uh, whatever part of Africa they were in, Mm -hmm. teaching uh, uh, the locals there, about Christianity and teaching them English, presumably. Sure. And the that, parents and Nettie speak English. They speak English. That they wouldn't speak English at the end. Yeah. Like, there's no reason that they can't speak English. That makes no fucking sense. Yeah. Wow. It's, I thought they would be speaking English, but with an accent. Yeah. But instead, they were, they're were they like, he's saying, he loves you, <laughs> he loves you, mama. You know, and I was like, yeah. wait, no English? Because I don't even know if Nettie and Samuel, because Corinne has died, the uh, missionary wife, if they speak Olinka, 
So it was just unclear, like, yeah, kind of what happened there. <laughs> the other weird yeah. thing is, um, so the book is also tightly focused on those two characters, mainly uh, Celia, and then you eventually get the, the letters from her sister, where mm-hmm. you get her perspective and what's going on there. You never jump away to go see Suge, go talk to her pastor dad, mm-hmm. or um, for um, the Oprah Winfrey character, uh, her time in prison. Like time is just kind of something that's passing between chapters. They describe, chapter. they they describe, describe it, it, yeah. But it's a, there's jumps in time, mm-hmm. and you kind of forget about some characters and come back in. And I don't think she like suffered whatever happened to her eye and a limp. Like that, they, that seems like it was both sold very short. Like the compression there was both great and bad at the same time. Yeah, I think they were describing that she was working in the prison laundry, and that was basically like really aging her fast and hard on her body. But I, I don't remember her having any like. Uh, head wound or yeah, damage yeah. to her face or anything in the book. Yeah, I mean she was beaten within an inch of her life when like by the police when mm-hmm. they picked her up. And, but yeah, that it stayed with her for all that time. Yeah, and then we should probably just mention that the reason that Celie thinks that Nettie has died is because Danny Glover has been uh, keeping all of Nettie's letters away from her for years and years and years, and so uh, he's a real asshole for doing that. And I feel yeah. like he doesn't. His character, it's like he gets to kind of gets away with that a little bit, I think. Because he's obviously lonely at the end, and then he's like, oh, I guess I'll go do this redeeming interaction or transaction right. with the immigration uh, <laughs> bureau, and then he'll hide out by his horse in the field and watch the uh, reunion. But, I mean, that was really a terrible thing. Like, uh, I don't think it's really addressed how terrible that was. Yeah, and, and what's yeah. amazing about the book is that you get the sense of, like, how horrible of a person this is mm-hmm. and her spiritual awakening just like saying yes yeah. to the world and changing and being able to get away for a while with uh, Suge to mm-hmm. Memphis Memphis yeah being able to like forgive him afterwards and him like asking for forgiveness as well mm-hmm. because that curse kind of comes back on him like Red Dragon I think that you should read the book and enjoy the book more so than maybe the remake of Red Dragon and the Ots <laughs> I, I thought the, the movie was great Okay. I really enjoyed it. Wow. Well, then let's go. You're three good, you're one ugly, and you're one bad. All right. My three goods uh, are all having to do with Celia and Sophia and Nettie. Um, I really loved it when Celie smiles really big without covering her mouth. I think it's. Oh, it's, yeah. You might have missed this because of your DVD turnover, but uh, when they're kissing. Uh-huh. Uh, Suge kisses Celia and she kind of turns away and then she kisses Suge and the smile on her face where she just is clearly feeling so much joy, which is not something she's had a lot of. And she has just taken the initiative. You can tell she just feels so happy and excited. I just thought, I mean, um, her smile is just gorgeous. So that was wonderful. I thought Oprah as mm-hmm. Sophia was uh, just like we already talked about. Like she just did an amazing job. Yeah. And then I really love the deep relationship between Celia and Nettie and just how that was. You, you Maybe you could describe it as saccharine, the way it was portrayed here and there. But I just really, I just really enjoyed watching them being really close and giggling because I guess it just was really wonderful to see these bright spots in their lives and then to see this enduring connection. So I thought those were, were good. The bad, I'd say, would be the score for the first third of the movie that I just, it was distracting Too much. Me. Yeah. Yep. Too heavy-handed. Which, you know, Spielberg had a hand in, right? Like, oh, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah, he gets to say and, and help. I'm not just saying, uh, Quincy, it's yeah. not your fault. But it just, it, I was actually kind of 
I was noting, I was like, oh yeah, this actually feels very Spielbergian, even though I know that John Williams isn't the one doing it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Do you normally feel like, do you normally think that you hear music when you watch movies? Like, is that something you're paying attention to or is it more just kind of in the background? Do you think that's something you know? Well, like- I think when it stands out and it's obtrusive, then I notice yeah. it and I go, wait, why is that happening? It seems like it should be supporting what's happening and maybe increasing the impact. So, and then the ugly, I just say, I would say would be the uh, um, erasing, erasure of the lesbian relationship and, and awakening a plotline because, you know. Maybe it's a good thing it leads people to the book. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, maybe definitely. I'm definitely interested in reading the book now, for and, sure. And it, and it wasn't. I mean, it had a very small. I mean, it had a relatively small budget and made a lot of money, if I remember right. Like, I, if I, I can't remember what the multiplier was on it, but I mean, it was. It was surprising how a movie that was maybe seen more of like an art house movie or a movie that's um, more of a drama instead of like uh, his action stuff. And this is his first time really going to that foray because this is going to be before um, the Christian Bale movie Empire of the Sun, and it's going to be before Always, and of course before Schindler's List. But it was a fifteen million dollar budget, and it grossed over one hundred forty-two million, which most films were making over a hundred million back oh, wow. then. So it was like people went and saw this film and had had an experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was crying at, like a baby at the end. Really? Oh, tears running down my face, like. It was it was so emotional. Uh, wow! Yeah. Compared to that, I just thought Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade was a trifle. It was just this. You were crying at the end. Wow! They rode off into the sunset. <laughs> no. You're like, hey, hold <laughs> another movie. Oh, what <laughs> well, good. Jack looks up some Google reviews. Um, yes. The Let's do it. Still, uh, Steven Spielberg um, was not recognized for best director on this film that year. Only once before, when journeyman director Sam Wood was ignored in the 11 nominations for his 1942 film, Pride of the Yankees, had such an egregious snub been made by the Academy. So that is... He did not let that down. Like He kept talking about it for a long time afterwards. What an asshole. He's like, I wanted my kids to be in that movie. Yeah, well, he, <laughs> you know, so he, wanted, yeah, he wanted that so much that he's actually the whistling that I think Danny Glover does when uh, later... And he's also on the soundtrack as the whistler because Walker was like, I don't think you should be in this film. <laughs> but fucking <laughs> asshole. Uh, <laughs> I, wait, so I guess two quick other, uh, two quick people uh, quotes while you look up the Google reviews, which are, I'm sure going to be so good for this. Um, yes. Another director who refused to be quoted by name weighed in with this. It's appalling what he did with Alice Walker's book. He either does not know how to explore relationships, or he doesn't want to deal with them. Either way, he turned The Color of Purple into a two and a half hour episode of Amazing Stories. And of course, the harshest critic of Steven Spielberg himself, he said, For the first time, I'm almost satisfied, almost, with the way the film turned out. So he he (laughs) isn't apparently like his other films, but this one, this is the one that he, he almost nailed. Does he think he wow. should win Academy Award nominations for things that he doesn't even think are that great? No, this is like he thinks <laughs> for like all his other films. <laughs> well, no, he's like I almost got this one, but why? No, 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 no. He said like thing? he's not satisfied with almost anything. He's yeah. almost like of all of his films, this is the one that he thinks he's almost satisfied with. Uh, that year, despite having eleven um, 
nominations. I can't, I don't believe anybody won. Mm-mm. And the seven wins did go to Sydney Pollock's Out of Africa, but we've covered that already on our uh, Streaks of Fire podcast. <laughs> so we'll <laughs> listen to that. Jack, Google, help me. Okay. Uh, okay. The Color Purple Google audience reviews. Matthew Barrett gives it one star. Terrible show, and the title is very misleading. I believed that this movie would teach me and my whole family about the color purple and the different shades of the color, but it didn't do that. To be honest, I didn't even know what the movie is about because I stopped watching after the first 20 minutes. Honestly, what a scam, and I will be asking for a refund for the money that I spent on this terrible movie. Is that real? Somebody somebody actually put words together. Not not like a bot to say that. Um, Alexis Austin gives it one star. Didn't like the smaltzy music, like in his other film, Schindler's List. Steven Spielberg has far too many over-sentimental, even patronizing moments in 5HE film, especially the ex-white man's music. Okay. (laughs) Interesting take. And spelling. (laughs) Ellen Ringer. Uh, says it should have won at least nine Oscars. Uh, Milan L. Kundra gives it one star and says, this is the movie equivalent of melatonin. I agree with that. Uh, it helps put you asleep, I guess. Is that yeah. what melatonin does? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then from Letterboxd real quick, Jack K. 1096. Jack K. 1096 on Letterboxd um, gives it one and a half stars out of five and says, I'm kind of impressed by how gross and boring and stupid this is. I will never watch the last hour that I fell asleep during. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Yeah. Jack1096, isn't that the name of the dog? <laughs> I, I I have a quick thing from Whoopi. Uh, while, okay. while people are asking her about Whoopi. shooting this. These people bitch and moan that you never see a black face in the movies. And as soon as there's a movie with a black cast that's not singing and dancing, they bitch and moan about it. I say to people, cool the fuck out and see what this man does with the movie. Cool the fuck out. Cool the fuck out. See if you like it yourself. Uh, read the book because it's so much better. Unlike Jaws. Uh, yeah. Well, have you read Jaws? I have read Jaws. Apparently, no one on this podcast read uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Nope. So hopefully we can still muddle through that. Wow. I didn't even watch it. So <laughs> this is going to be great. So I guess we're back. Yes, after that word from our sponsor, which I will insert in later. Yes, was it? The, is this the um, PSA that we have about adrenochrome? <laughs> Just don't do yes. it. Don't do the adrenochrome. <laughs> Say no. I guess it's the one that everybody's been waiting for. 1989, not the last film that Spielberg did in the 80s. Because hmm. that would be Ooh. always the Christmas release okay, this year. You don't seem to like always. I do not. I do not like Always. It is... Oh, Always is great. Come on, Thomas. Always is the worst film that he directed, most likely. I haven't seen 1941. Hook is like a close second. Lincoln and War Horse are the two worst. I like Lincoln. But anyway, we're here to talk about... Whoa. (laughs) I think you just derailed derailed the whole conversation. Um, Yeah. Uh, I guess... subjective. Well, Shannon has a short essay on Lincoln that will uh, Lincoln the podcast notes. <laughs> so look at that. Okay, yeah, Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, uh, May twenty fourth, nineteen eighty nine. Flying your Spielberg bingo. You got your horses. You got your fat kid. You got your disguises. <laughs> where you become Scottish and a Nazi. Mm. 
uh, different uh, different times. Uh, you got airplanes. You got Nazis. You got a workaholic father, and you got some letters. So that's almost enough uh, for somebody to get bingo out there. Rats. Uh, are there snakes in the? Oh yeah, he's not afraid of them in the um, railway car in the circus car. Well, he doesn't seem to enjoy being in immersed in them, but yeah. But yeah, he doesn't have the phobia yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where it comes from. Does he not like snakes? Oh my goodness! Did I? Is this like an essential part of the character that I've just missed? Yeah, he doesn't like snakes. <laughs> oh, I should probably rewatch these movies at some point. And Sean Connery doesn't like rats. Uh, the dad doesn't like rats. Well, who likes rats? Oh. Well, who likes rats? I love rats. Not prison snitches. They get stitches. Um, For any of our Portland listeners, go to Delta Park. Like, after the sun sets, you will see a ton of great rats. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, live, I live not far from there, and... It's not the most savory of uh, Barks? Lo- locales. Yeah. <laughs> They're all training like mutant turtles as well. I'm very concerned about <laughs> the future of Portland. Uh, well, so both of those, both of the films uh, had, well, I guess we, this one just is a story by our favorite Swedish writer. Is he Swedish? Minot uh, Mayus. Who was the perfect person to translate Alice Walker's work into the screen. And also did the story for this? He did the story for this along with Lucas. Oh. But the writer for this is Jeffrey Bohm, who his fir- Jeffrey Bohm's first screenplay credit is for Straight Time, which is a Dustin Hoffman movie that Michael Mann did all of his prison research for that would let Michael Mann do, like, basically Michael Mann's career. Uh, starting huh. with the made-for-television movie Miracle Mile. Is it Miracle Mile? Jericho, Jericho Mile. Mile. Jericho Mile. <laughs> it kind of Jericho rhymes Mile. Miracle Mile. Um, so, yeah, it's a strange connection there. Right. There were 7,000 rats or 2,000 rats, depending on who you're talking to. They were specially bred, so they wouldn't have diseases oh. for one scene. Wow. You can't just take rats. You can't just take rats out of Portland and put them in a movie. Well, there was this, there was the scene in the underneath the church in venice where was it a church or was it a library it was a church that had been turned into a library okay and yeah there are rats crawling all around their necks and faces so i, yeah. could, I could see wanting them to be the cleaner type yeah no, maybe not the delta park you don't want to recreate the black <laughs> play right you know? well i was gonna say that sounds like a, a herzogian level of rats there it is, yeah. I'm surprised. I guess it was probably cheaper than rubber rats, right? It's a little bit like the Poltergeist episode when instead of using skeleton, rubberized skeletons, it was cheaper just to use real people skeletons. That's right. Harrison Ford actually was the one who recommended uh, Phoenix for this. I thought River Phoenix did a wonderful job. River Phoenix, too soon, right? Yeah. Like, he did a phenomenal job in everything. Yeah. Uh, he worked with Harrison Ford. I can't remember the name of the movie right before, the, a couple years before this, but he had recommended it recommended him for it and phoenix said that he um river not Joaquin, said that he uh didn't base his character on indiana jones in the movies he instead based it off of harrison ford i mean i could see it I he does such a great oh. job and i could see later and i think i said this to you last week but i could see like moments when harrison ford reminded me of river phoenix and you were like i think it's the other way because <laughs> <laughs> like, later in the movie i was like oh yeah i could totally see how he was that kid you know but it was river phoenix i think really aced it yeah i thought i had another connection similar to like with the world kind of imploding or collapsing on itself with the jeffrey bohm straight time thing allison duty the nazi in this uh was a bond girl but she wasn't a bond girl during the sean connery era mm. um it was uh the view to the kill era with the one the one that has grace jones in it roger moore 
Is it for? I don't know. Yeah, I just there's only one Bond for me. Sean Connery? No. Oh. <laughs> George Lazenby? No. Is it the bond of friendship? It is. Like the only ship that matters? <laughs> it is. That's the only bond that matters. Aww. That was the real treasure all along, was the bond between father and son. If I remember right, this film, um, what Spielberg had been developing Rain Man at this time, if, I, if, this is what I'm, if I'm recalling things correctly, and he was going to direct it, but uh, something happened and he had to, like, he basically gave up on that to go to direct this. So, um... <laughs> And what you that's an interesting. Those are very different. That's an interesting connection because I also fell asleep during Rain Man. <laughs> <laughs> my cat ate all of my finches during Rain Man when I was a kid. When I was watching. What? what? Yeah, I, I had. You, like, what? you were so you were so stuck watching it. No, it was dying. We watched movies in the basement, and the finches were in a cage in my bedroom on the second floor. And when I came up afterwards, there was not a trace left. Um, oh my god finches so my cat biff ate him gosh so that's my <laughs> that's what i remember most about Rayman. plus wapner that's awful yeah, it was, was your cat named after biff from back to the future yeah we also had a cat named mcfly oh that's cool wow that's really we cool. also had cats named um wayne and garth later on so i guess you were my sister not garth and wayne it's wayne and garth <laughs> <laughs> What, are you looking so uh, what movie were we talking about? <laughs> I think yeah, we're I think talking we're about <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. So I wanted to—I was—I wanted to ask if you guys thought that the Coronado intro plotline had any relevance to the rest of the movie. Felt the so- ice cream? <laughs> what do you mean Coronado? Oh, you mean like the the place? No, the bad guy at the beginning. Oh. Who the bad guy who was who has the hat? Who had no Coronado was the guy with the. the the heart outside the, his chest? The lapel the flower, heart? the red what? flower on his lapel, who had engaged the um, oh. poor man's Indiana Jones lookalike guy to get the cross, Coronado cross, yeah. or whatever it was, out of the cave. Okay. And then later they show Indiana, like in the intro, Indiana on Jones on the ship trying to get that cross back from that guy with the lapel flower. Uh-huh. None of that had to do with the rest of the movie at all. It was just sort of a little intro. And I guess it just felt like a lot of... Um, content was devoted guy. was devoted to this thing that had no never was called back in the rest of the movie. So thoughts? Um, well, Jack, this is fresh in your mind having seen it uh, only three or four years ago, right? <laughs> You're correct. Uh, r- right now, I'm on the second paragraph of the Wikipedia. So <laughs> anyway, no, so what, what's wild to me? Um, uh, so they he got a lot of flack. Spielberg for the portrayal of uh, continental Indians, subcontinental Indians in Doom. Okay. Yeah. Um, they said like rightfully it, so. It seems like we had, like even though this is supposed to be a serial taking place in this in this past, like the serials in the past might have been a little racist. You probably should cool your shit and like not do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so there were a couple of different plot, a couple of different things that they had um, were, were pitching to him for like what the new bad guy was going to be and the third one because he had said like i'm gonna do a, a, a third movie the uh they ended up getting rid of most of it and he was rejecting a lot of the scripts because uh he wasn't concerned about that until they went back to the their old standby the nazis apparently like whenever they're doing the uh burning of the books all the uh, Hill Hitler salutes, mm-hmm. the hand that's behind their back, all had their fingers crossed. Is something that uh, Spielberg asked him to do. 
Like, so they didn't mean it? They didn't mean it. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) That's weird, right? (laughs) Like, Um, that's so not how that kind of thing works, also. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think during the Nuremberg trials, Hess wasn't like, no, I have fingers crossed the entire time. (laughs) Multiple different people say that they came up with the idea of having it be Indy's, the third movie be a movie with Indy's father in it. Okay. One of the reasons they don't put the Holy Grail in the title is they were concerned about Monty Python <laughs> and the Holy Grail Ooh. and those just being associations. Confusing? Yeah. Oh. Well, not, I mean, not like confusing the because movies, but... the Holy Grail, the, the Monty Python is silly. Yes. And so they're thinking, this serious film, <laughs> this is we need not... to make sure. <laughs> it's pretty people, silly. People know how serious this film is supposed to be. Um <laughs> Uh, so Sean Connery, uh, originally they, they wanted the role to be a little, like they didn't think Sean Connery would do it because it, it was so nerdy in a way, the role. And Sean Connery was like, no, I'm okay with that. I just need to sex it up a little bit occasionally. Um, and they were okay with it. So he, uh, that's one of the reasons maybe that he has sex with the, uh, Nazi. E- evil Nazi. Uh, not, okay. The good evil Nazi. <laughs> She's not good. Is she not? I think, isn't she kind of redeem herself she at different is, times? She's 100% a Nazi who's undercover. And then at the end, she's like, maybe not the most terrible Nazi. But I would yeah. say that's a, not much of a redemption. So, well, Does she does she look into the alien's eyes at the end and her head explodes? You're thinking of Kate Blanchett, I think. Okay. No, she tries Sorry. to leave the temple with the grail, which you're not allowed to do. And New it, rules! And it creates, it makes, it, <laughs> makes everything uh, fall down. Yeah, so I I don't know if we need to try and go through the plot point by point, but two things that caught my attention watching it this time, and this is still my least favorite of all the Indiana Jones. No. Yeah, I think Temple of Doom has a lot more fun going on in it. So (laughs) you can be immortal as long as you don't leave the temple. Well, were they saying that Indiana Jones and his dad wouldn't be immortal if they left? And he can't take the chalice across I thought it was the, the immortality was permanent, which they do not address, the fact yeah. that they might be immortal now. Yeah. What what good is immortality if you're just stuck in that Yeah, and also he's cave. like, my two brothers came here with me, and then they were like, you were the most righteous one, you're going to stay behind? I think they just didn't <laughs> like him, right? I mean, yeah. that's what you would You are so cool, you should stay. Yeah, and he's like, okay. <laughs> and then he falls over immediately. He was like, supposed to battle Indiana and Jones he just fall- for And like- he's like, you've bested me. <laughs> but he doesn't, yeah, he's too old. Yeah, it felt a little bit Wait. more like Monty Python, maybe than it was supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> the other Who thing plays is, the knight? Is it Max von Sydow? Is that on the Wikipedia page? No, it's not. <laughs> He's definitely an old gentleman. So, is there anything? So, in the Man, the Myth, the Mythology by Frank Sinelio, he says, as much as Spielberg wanted to honor his promise to Lucas, he was not about to throw himself into a project that he found unsatisfactory just to make good on a handshake deal made a decade earlier on a beach in Hawaii, <laughs> right? <laughs> Rich man problems. <laughs> like Jeez. he they, he went f- through four different screenplays until they finally figured out this one. And different people have a different um, yeah a different sense of who actually came up with the, the father MacGuffin. But that's what sold it. And then they kind of stacked. They wanted to tell a father story, whereas you have that's like a Spielberg portion of it that's really got him hooked. You have the Lucas portion, which is they need to find the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is his portion of it. And so they merged the two to have this film. But then they add in 
the beginning, which I don't know. I watch it once. And I'm like, that's a good idea. And I watch it again. I'm like, this is the terrible thing. And I think Ripper Phoenix does a great job as a young Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. But that opening sequence, I, I like the fake out of, uh, you think it might be Indiana Jones. Like, uh, someone like him. Someone who's like him and instead he steals his look. Yeah. I think that the train car, the circus train car is pretty ridiculous. But it's probably what Spielberg liked the most in shooting of everything. It was fun. Fun yeah, to watch. I mean, it, it's okay. Yeah, it's pretty fun, I guess. That he gets a scar then as well. He picks up a whip and he I... gets a scar. So he gets his hat, his whip, his scar, his fierce snakes, presumably. It was a big day for him. <laughs> All of one adventure when he's a Boy Scout. <laughs> but I thought it was great because... because uh... Harris Ford has that scar yeah, from he does. Carpentry. He, uh, uh, something, I think he was even younger. I think he was like 12 when he got it. I thought it was from Carpentry. Okay. But anyway, I just... I, I thought it was from a plane crash. We should... Do, should we bet and then see who who's right? Ooh. I don't have any internet. Do you want to you wanna take over the uh, podcast if you win? <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you lose. Oh, yeah. That's, if right, I that's lose. right. It's actually if <laughs> lose. But no, I like the beginning as sort of the origin story because I think it helps with the dad part of the movie because you get to see yeah. where he came from and then he kind of regresses back to that teenage per you know because he's like dad he's kind of whining at his dad and moaning and hurry up dad you know and i think that that earlier part uh-huh. is just very helpful for kind of the context later yeah so I think yeah I, think- I mean i guess it also is a lot more fun than watching um indiana jones movie going to school and coming home and having like <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess that helps. And do you think like reading an archaeology textbook, maybe yeah, yeah. out loud in Greek? So <laughs> when they show him back at school after he's gone to the ship and it's sunk, oh, and I he's forgot. Got nothing, yeah, because you don't have a, you don't have a, a school scene in Doom, but you do this in one. Raiders, you do in this one, and you do in Crystal Skull. Right, but it's just you can tell he's like, oh, I'm so out of here. But all of the students are these attractive young women. And I was trying to figure out if they were saying that he was a heartthrob, that mm-hmm. you know, he was like the most handsome, dashing. Um, teacher, or if, if that was just a coincidence, because it seemed to me they were predominantly young ladies. Well, maybe he Spielberg was like scouting for a new wife, like he did on <laughs> oh, uh, the first Indiana. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the second one. So he's like, all of you can come in and be extras. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, according to Wikipedia, Ford gained his scar in a car accident as a young man. So not from carpentry. Yeah, he- but we'll still give you the podcast. I said- <laughs> uh, he escapes through the window and he's off to adventures because the evil guy who's in the, he's not really a Nazi sympathizer he's just using the Nazis so he's even more evil than Nazis somehow maybe I guess so but yeah wants he, immortality he takes him says I'm gonna pay you oh then he really Half buries, the he really buries the lead there because he's like your father is the man who's disappeared, who is the head of my grail finding operation and he says it like 20 minutes after they started talking about this he could have <laughs> yeah. led with that and it would have been maybe more effective it's like, motivator. What was for... the uh, television shows at Heroes that you were always like, <laughs> they uh, like I have something really important to tell you my last breath, but I you uh, betrayed me with my best friend, so uh. and then oh, <laughs> I guess we can't advance this plot any further. Yeah, yeah, I definitely buried the lead there. Yeah. Um, somehow, yeah, I, to answer your question, I have no no idea why they, they use that same guy, except for maybe to fill in a little bit of the mythology. Like, he's still, he finally gets his comeuppance on, out at sea 30 years later. And It almost him. felt like the little, and I don't really know what I'm talking about, but like the little, a little story at the beginning of a comic book, you know, just to get you warmed up. Like, adventure's happening. This guy's out there doing things. Well, and all the Indiana Jones opened that way with like a, um, 
mean, that's what's so great about the first one is it's, it's like the end of another movie you're watching. Oh, right. So it, I guess. And then you have the dance number, uh, and the production, uh, in the, in Doom, which opens it up in, um, like a, a some, I think it's like Shanghai or somewhere. Okay. I haven't seen Wait, that in a long time. I don't remember a dance number in Dune. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. Dune. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, are we talking about the sci-fi one, the David Lynch one, or the newest one? Are the sci-fi one and the David Lynch one and the newest one all different? Uh, there's a, definitely a dance number in one of them, but I won't tell you which. <laughs> Doom, yeah. Uh, and not the movie Doom, I think with the Rock, isn't Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Yeah, and uh, Carl Urban. Yeah, so uh, Temple of Doom. Great movie. Yeah, and so that sets him off. He's met at the port. By he goes there with the museum person for some reason. Marcus. Marcus, and he's met by evil Nazi lady who isn't seem like an evil Nazi lady at the time. Just seems like a doctor, which is great. Like she's introduced by as doctor, and like it's non gendered yeah. at first. Um, and also the great uh, confusion of Mister Jones or Doctor Jones, and both of them answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think it, it the movie picks up again. Remember, I like all the chemistry between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. Oh, it's great! On, yeah, I mean that that part is that's great. a romp. And I, I think that Sean Connery did a really good job as kind of a fussy, like he's a little oblivious. He's game for for stuff. He's nerdy. I, I thought he did a wonderful job, and I loved hearing his Scottish accent because I feel like oftentimes he's affecting a different accent. I I have this somewhere. I'm trying to think of. Let me see. He plays his dad, right? Do you know what the age difference is between those two? Mm-mm. Sean Connery, born 1930, August 25th. Harrison Ford, born July 13th, 1942. Oh, okay. They are 12 years difference. Wow. <laughs> Sean Connery definitely... Wow. He seems like he has a lot more gravitas, right? Yeah. Like, he seems a lot older than Ford wow. somehow. I guess they put that bucket hat on him and they're like, go be a dad. And I also think, like, Sean Connery just would have been um, acting longer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it just seems like... <laughs> we aged with him, maybe. I just thought it was so creepy that they had just slept with the same woman, and also she doesn't, she doesn't acknowledge Sean Connery at all. Yeah, like when they all are meeting up, she's not like, "Oh, hi, yeah, we." She's just flirting with Harrison Ford, and that's very uncomfortable. I guess it's less uncomfortable if you factor in that there's only a twelve-year age difference. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's already an unusual situation. They've been kidnapped by Nazis, and they're looking for a grail. Oh, you think that that's, yeah, it's the yeah, old I dusty so. one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's already a weird vacation. I, I think watching it every time I watch it, the thing that one of the things that doesn't appeal to me so much is I really want her, I want um, Indiana Jones to be Jewish. I think, or maybe like uh, some maybe Hindu or have some Eastern religion that he decided to grow up with, as opposed to. I don't know. It's kind of ambiguous in the mm-hmm. film. All three of the, like the clues, if I remember right, to get into this, um, yeah, inner a sanctum. Yeah, a penitent man like kneels true... before Jesus, and so that's how he knows to kneel so he doesn't get his head chopped yeah, off. Yeah, and then it's like the word, maybe. You have to maybe... spell Jesus, but in another language, and it starts with, with I. I as opposed to a J. And the last one was having the walk, like the walk of, of faith, faith or yeah. something. And so it just seemed like... It's like a Jesus quiz. It is. And it just seems like he wouldn't be the person to win the G- Jesus quiz. Like, it'd be nice if like he was maybe like a Catholic and it was very prominent in who Indiana well, Jones was. The dad, or if he was like, I have, to tra- I have to put on my Christian hat now. From, from when I was a kid. Yeah. But also, they make such a big deal of this little book, right? The 
Holy Grail book that the dad had yeah. pulled together. And he's like, it's got the clues in it. And then he shows the thing and he's like, he's like but what do these mean? He's like, I don't know. And I'm like, but you're the scholar. You're the scholar. This has been your life's work. <laughs> and you can't solve these three little clues. Yeah. That are obvious. Like, anyway, that felt a little unlikely. Yeah, the whole last part of the movie, I mean, from the tank scene on, just seems like it's tacked on. Like, it yeah. seems like there's one movie going on whenever you get the, uh, maybe to the point with the... Um, uh, the umbrella and the birds on the beach that mm-hmm. takes out the plane. And then it feels like the movie resets and it's totally a different movie. Yeah. Yeah. And the the tank scene uh, goes on for a really long time. Really long time. Is it better or worse than the tank scene from GoldenEye? Oh, I don't think I've seen that one. That's Pierce Brosnan? Yeah. I don't remember that. Wait, is that is that the one that has snow fighting in it? Like he's skiing and there's... Maybe that is Roger Moore. I love battles in snow. It looks dope, oh. right? Like in Inception, and people are getting shot, and it, the blood's showing up on the snow. I think <laughs> you're confusing like three different movies there. No, I, Inception has a bunch of snow fighting. I thought it was really boring. That's why I remember. Oh, whoa! Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I'm the one person who didn't like Inception. Wow, and you liked Lincoln and so. color pur- the color purple. So <laughs> the movie for everybody. Um, yeah. The part where they go to the castle to rescue the dad because uh, they're like. We could go straight to the Grail, but yeah, we have to go to the castle to get Dad. Okay, help help remind me how that happens. They, they she fakes um, uh, robbery. A robbery. At some point, he pretends like he's Scottish or Irish or something to yeah, go to the castle. Yeah, and that is so dumb because looking for tapestries or something. He's yeah, he pretends like he's Scottish. They come in and they're like tapestries, tapestries, and he's doing this terrible Scottish accent. And then he still just knocks the guy out. He could have just done that immediately without dressing up sort of as a Scottish person. Like, and forcing uh, the German to try and be a, a Scottish person yeah, as well. I think just, she's just like kind of like nodding, yeah, right? Yeah, it was just she, very silly because they just ended up knocking him out anyway. And then he... How does he know his dad's there? Do we know how we know he knows? Um, somebody tells them. Okay. <laughs> somebody says he's at so-and-so castle. <laughs> they say it. They, say, they also say it's not a trap. But their <laughs> fingers are crossed behind their back. Yeah. So, huh. And I like the... So then they're tied... Uh, father and son are tied back-to-back in chairs by the Nazis. And they're about to get executed. And Harrison says, here, burn the ropes. And then somehow Sean Connery throws the fire and it starts the rug on fire. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's just very funny because he's like, oh, shit. Um, you know, <laughs> watching the flames rise. And I, I just thought. Sean and then Connery they have the, uh, the scene where they're constantly turning in the chimney. In yeah. The secret passage <laughs> going to the, the Nazis. The Nazis are like, Schnell, Schnell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty sad. It's a nice set scene. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a little nice set piece. And then um, Harrison has the book, the Holy Grail book, signed by Hitler at the book okay. burning event. So this is, yeah, this is the most controversial scene, uh, probably of Spielberg's whole career and his whole filmography. <laughs> what do you guys, what do you guys think about Wait, it? What's your you opinion? Think it's it? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I thought they by were making light of Hitler a little, in a way where it was just like, oh, he's just around. And Harrison Ford's like, oh, I don't know. It seems silly. Well, he gets... He has the key, basically, to finding the grail in his hand, right? And he doesn't even realize it. So it is kind of making fun of him. I guess so. Like, that he wouldn't even bother to look at what a book was. Is that why you think it's controversial? Are they saying um, Hitler's illiterate? No, well, yeah. I mean, he's so coked up that he didn't even realize what was going on, right? He was just so jazzed Probably. that there was this whole pile of books burning. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so didn't Spielberg later say that that's, like, one of the things he regrets 
Kevin put in his movies. I think he also regretted just using Nazis all the time as easy bad guys as well, which is why like you see a better touch with that, and it's not as I mean the treatment of uh, the German people as Nazis uh, is so much better in Schindler's List when it's so much more horrific as well, right? Like you could see how terrible it is, um, like what everybody's going through. And so Nazis aren't always pure evil. It's a political party that people got sucked into. As opposed to them being terrible, like and doing, and doing terrible things, yeah. yeah. As opposed to all of them being easy bad guys. Safe, easy bad guys. I mean, that's why they, they chose them. Again, they went back to that well. And that's also what he, why mm-hmm. Crystal Skull, for some reason, they decided to use Russians instead. Mm-hmm. Is because they're like, shit, we can't do Nazis a third time. <laughs> so what else is there? Is there anything else? And then he's like, War Horse, well, I guess I could do that because they'll just be like proto-Nazis. Fathers of Nazis. Right. He didn't want to pick on Germans again, so he decided to pick on Russians. And Germans. Oh, wait, for, <laughs> yeah, for War Horse, he was like, yeah. Was the... I don't know what you call him. The assistant, the guy who came and helped them out. Sala? The guy who's helping out the uh, um, museum owner? Who brought the camels? Yes. Yeah. Is he a recurring character? He's in the first one. Oh, okay. Uh, He's not in the second one. Um, Oh, really? And he's not in... I don't think he shows up in the fourth one. Okay. Because he seemed like he was not a brand new character, but I didn't... Like he belongs in the movie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty fun, that piece where they're, like, running away, and they, he's like, hide in here! And it's the back of a truck, and he drives off. Yeah, it's the back of a truck with a palm tree with a swastika in the middle. <laughs> so you can tell it's a Nazi truck. Like, I, w- I was very confused if that was actually a normal thing, to have just swastikas on everything. Yeah. But it was very clearly marked, like, Nazi palm tree truck. Yeah. That made me laugh. Yeah, Harrison Ford looks good on a horse. He shoots three Nazis with one shot. I don't know. There's not a lot to say about this film, I don't think. Except for maybe you're <laughs> good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, maybe this is one of them. Hmm. Do you... I, I've joked that Spielberg might be asexual or not really know what sex is. And he makes films so that people could tell him. Mm-hmm. In Doom, there's a pretty fun like uh, adult kind of... They're about to have sex scene where both Harrison Ford and... Uh, the woman who's eventually become uh, Miss Spielberg mm-hmm. uh, are um, each in their own rooms, like uh, hoping the other one's going to come over oh, and expecting yes. them to, and they get more and more jealous and angry. In this one, you have kind of sex scene between the going up to it uh, with Indiana Jones and the uh, Nazi woman, yes. Nazi doctor. Uh, and he's like, I don't like fast women. I hate arrogant men. And they mashed their faces. They put like peanut butter on their other lips and <laughs> no, had them, no, no. Um, like, go at each other for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, I just wonder like that with also a color purple, which I'm sorry, that color purple, which is not about the color purple um, and trying to define it, unlike some Google reviews. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a book about sexual awakening along with spiritual awakening and a few other things like the mm-hmm. spoke, like. Do you think Spielberg's ever had sex? Oh, of course. This yeah? is probably just real vanilla. Okay. Just maybe a bed sheet. Yeah. <laughs> with a hole like in it. Not a, yeah, not a lot of uh, excitement. But you're also, I mean, he, as you said, he wants to perform to a full packed house. Yeah. So everything is about just the lowest common denominator, right? Like, what can everyone understand? What are the recurring themes? You know, the push pull of. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm repelled by you, but I'm attracted to you and, and mashing our faces together. You know, I guess that's kind of sexy. <laughs> do you want me to do my good, bad, and ugly? Yeah. Okay. Well, I like the fake out in the beginning with the generic evil Indiana Jones. 
um, and River Phoenix and the origin story. Just that they were sort of saying, like, basically he was inspired by this random guy who was maybe working for an unsavory character who gave him his hat and then he stole the, his nickname from the dog. And almost like he just kind of created this entire thing out of... Okay, yeah, you can see all the threads yeah. for, like... It's like Batman Year One. You get to see, like, how he's coming together. Yeah. Um, right. I enjoyed that. Okay. And it didn't feel like... I guess maybe for the third one's a good time to do that. Maybe it wasn't ham-fisted. You, you have, like, a little... As ridiculous as it is, you have, like, a little glimmer where you're like, oh, that piece and that piece. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's you Indiana Jones. all the references. I think okay. because it's Indiana Jones, I gave it all this kind of latitude to be a little sure. cheesy, I guess. Um, like, the part on the boat right after that, I was like, it's a good thing this is Indiana Jones, because this is so schlocky. Like, all the, they're like, oh, the boat's turning this way. Oh, the boat's turning this way. Oh, when, fly- oh, when the, there's those giant waves? Yeah, it just felt because really Because there's, there's a lot of boats on this, right? <laughs> because they also have the boat uh, chase scene with yes. the protectors of the grail. Yeah, where they're... Who are, are cutting in half. Who are like bad guys and good guys at the same time, right? I think it's one of the most noble. sophisticating things yeah, uh, of like any of these Indiana Jones is they have their own mission. Yeah. And their mission is to protect the Grail, which is a good mission in the morality of the of the movie. Mm-hmm. But they just get mowed down by guns. Yeah. So. <laughs> and uh, maybe die on those boats as they're chasing Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. And um, I really enjoyed Sean Connery and his Scottish accent. I liked it that he had that recurring line, like, this is intolerable. <laughs> he kept saying when things weren't going right. Okay. I just, I thought he was very cute. And the bad, I just overall felt this was pretty trifling and soulless. Uh, maybe, I, I really loved this movie when I was a kid. Yeah. And it just, Same. just rewatching it, I was like, oh, it just feels like it's just kind of happening and there isn't really a lot of substance to it. So I just felt a little disappointed. And then I was super just frustrated that these people who seem to care so much about the ideology and the history and the archaeology fucking destroyed this temple and the grail and the old knight for what? (laughs) I mean, there was no, they didn't ever think like, oh, we should probably save these things or try to maintain this history or keep Mm -hmm. it going. They were just like, oh, it all fell down. And they like (laughs) trot off into the sunset, like as if a whole bunch of history that the dad had spent I'd say what forty, fifty years studying. Yeah, just destroyed. Oh, let's let's ride that way. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Marcus knows how to get lost in his own museum. Ha ha ha! And they trot off. <laughs> yeah. It's so silly. There's something to like. So, India, like, Indiana Jones takes his personality from, or his persona, or uh, his hat and everything else from somebody who is a straight up like treasure rob grave mm-hmm. robber. Yeah, it's interesting like because it's not. It's one of those. I guess uh, tensions that almost comes out in some of the films. He is actually maybe not a great archaeologist or good person from taking these things from where they are and moving them oh. to the United States to put in that guy's museum. Or what was the? I would say it's not a maybe. I would yeah. say he's definitely not a good guy for doing but that. I don't know if the movie. I think the movie has a tension where it's saying that he's a good guy, but might also understand that it might not be the best thing. Like, oh, those natives don't want you to steal their. Uh, whatever ta- artifacts, ta- uh, yeah, yeah, taboo object. You probably uh, should leave that in its place. Which which yeah. movie was it? Where at the end, the thing he's gone through all these links to get is like at the very back of a gigantic warehouse filled. That's Crystal Skull. Oh, I know. That's I know. That's the first one. Yeah, yeah. But it, and then they come back to it in Crystal Skull. Oh, the opening. They? Yeah. The Steven Spielberg, the man, the movies, and their meanings by Philip Taylor in 1992, which is the book that ends with Hook that I quoted during the Hook episode. Steven Spielberg says, it feels like the end of an era and the end of a quest. 
about this film. If there are more adventures, uh, they'll be without me directing. I plan on going on to quite different things. And then in 2002, 10 years later, The Man, The Myth, and The Mythology by Frank Sinelio, if someone can get the script right, I will direct the fourth Indiana Jones. (laughs) (laughs) We had podcast favorite uh, David Kep work on Crystal Skull. Is that right? Or am I misremembering? Oh, fudge. I've blocked everything I can about the... Look, I I like Buckaroo Banzai a lot. I don't know if either of you have seen it. Um, Okay. And it's a film that doesn't have a sequel. That they had like an idea for a sequel at the very end, they actually say like, "Stay tuned for the next um, adventures of Buckaroo Banzai," and which became like a comic book and like a book and a bunch of other things. But I'm really glad that Buckaroo Banzai doesn't have a sequel, and it just has like all these allusions to all these other things that are in his background. And somehow I think that this is like maybe uh, what's the third Evil Dead movie? Oh, I don't uh, know. where he goes back in time. Ash goes back in time. Spider-Man Three. Thank you. Now, it just feels like it's catering a lot to mm-hmm. the audience instead of, like, making something something new. Well, because there's all these expectations, oh. right, at that point? Yeah, and but it's also like Temple of Doom doesn't exist somehow as well. Like, they're kind of ignoring Temple of Doom Why and going that? back. Because, I, I don't know. Like, there's, like, um, everything what? in this film kind of matches up very closely to, the, uh, to Raiders. And Doom is actually a prequel to Raiders for whatever reason. Would make sense, right? That it wouldn't go all the way back to the the second. I don't know. The film feels very much like a sequel, whereas Doom doesn't feel like a sequel or really paying, like trying to explain things that happen. In isn't the sequel called Children of Doom or something? Oh, Dune Messiah, I think. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. I don't know. I I I think this is I podcast lore. I said this on the uh, our first episode, the um, the one where we talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is that like. I loved that movie when I was a kid, and I also loved this one. I never really liked Temple of Doom, and obviously Crystal Skull is terrible. Yes. But I really loved The Last Crusade, and I feel like, again, like when I rewatched Jaws recently, and some of the very, like, Spielbergian stuff um, was kind of disappointing to me, and it wasn't as good as I remembered, I think that maybe The Last Crusade would be the same way. So that's why I'm going to have it be, like, the end of The Road Warrior, and just have it, like, live on in my memory. So that way I can cherish it as a really good movie. And if it's not, then I'll never have to know. Yeah. So you're just never going to watch it again. So you, your memory is, the, is what it is. I think that's a smart way of going about it. I mean, it. I, I think <laughs> if I had just used my memory of the movie today to talk about it, I probably could have, you know, just pulled out little memories, little tidbits that I enjoyed. And it mm-hmm. would have probably been just, exactly. as, just as good. And the film almost feels like that. Like it mm-hmm. is just a bunch of almost disconnected mm-hmm. scenes yeah. that yeah. get you to... <laughs> Yeah, them like, riding off in the sunset. Ooh, boats, ooh, tanks. And it probably ooh. opens with the, with the sunrise and closes with the sunset, I think. Yeah. It probably comes in with like people riding on a horse, and you also leave with people riding on a horse. And that's something that Spielberg, just for whatever reason, I think they do the same thing in War Horse. He's like, ooh, yeah. Mm. He's ooh, like, yeah. oh, sun rising, <laughs> sun setting. Start of a film, <laughs> end of a film. <laughs> oh, boy. Do we want to do um, Google reviews? Let's do it. Which movie is this? Oh, okay. I think it's... We're saying, what, Dune Messiah? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Google Reviews. Pascal Vaudry says, Good movie, but it really should have been called Sean Connery in the Last Crusade. And the poster sport the tagline, featuring good guy going through the motions Harrison Ford as his sidekick, Indiana Jones, to the greatest comedy of our time. To me, 
Ford was in this one pretty much the same as he was in Return of the Jedi. Kind of done with it, and he was just waiting for something new and interesting to come along next. I don't like the fact that the hero was mostly used as comic relief, especially in that god-awful and completely useless no-ticket scene. I don't remember that scene. Tank scene was great, though. Felt like Raiders all of a sudden. Mm. I know the thumbs down is too harsh, but for it is my least favorite of the four by a long shot. But But I still saw it thousands of times. Parentheses, saw it 18 times at the theater during its original run alone, so end parentheses, and appreciate a lot of things in it. This guy has seen it thousands of times. Oh, yeah. So the no-ticket scene was on the blimp. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. When he sh- he shoves the Nazi guy out of the window and says, no ticket. Yeah, and then he's like playing off what happened, and then everyone yeah. pulls out their tickets, yeah. like oh. in a very Spielbergian comedy, which I think works all right. Apparently they shot oh, that scene, it, like- it was so hot that Sean Connery wasn't wearing pants, which- he was wearing tweeds <laughs> the blimp scene. Oh, and so he was just walking around in his underwear a lot. He's like, oh, too warm. Yeah. I'm wow. going to try and use just that. Just like Robocop. <laughs> Next time I'm on a blimp. Just make sure every, <laughs> the boxers stay closed and you're fine. Right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Samuel Black says, I've been trying to find the actual... I've been trying to find the date of the actual most recent crusade to take place. I am not looking for some stupid adventure movie. I'm doing research. <laughs> However, I've never watched this movie, so I'll assume it's good. <laughs> what? <laughs> Alpha Wolf gives it one star and says, I'm not a fan of sex jokes and, quote, dad had sex with the same woman I had sex with, end quote, jokes. Uh, Not a family movie when crossing that line. Ha ha, we had sex with the same girl. Ha ha ha, about ten times in the movie. It's so obnoxious. (laughs) Yeah, it's the grossest part of the movie. I think it's also... I don't know. I like that Spielberg includes that because I think it probably made him uncomfortable. But why, and- <laughs> why did that woman have sex with both of them? Does she legitimately want to? I think so, yeah. Because she doesn't... Well, how about this? I mean, either her. way. Let's go either way. Sure. Was it a honeypot? Because you could honeypot without actually having sex with someone. Maybe that's actually what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and Connery's like talking it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've not been a honeypot, but I would just imagine that you could flirt with someone for a while and it would be effective. Yeah, maybe. I guess I maybe that's what you're saying. Are oh, you saying it's like a Madonna thing where it, I mean, uh, like it seems like she's evil because she's had sex with well, multiple men? So one of the things I was when I watching this movie again, I was like, oh, is this gonna be one of these annoying things where she's kind of powerful and knows her stuff until she has sex with the main character, and then she's gonna become helpless. Because I hate it when that happens mm-hmm. in movies and it happens a lot. And it didn't happen a ton except that she turned out to be evil right after she had sex. So it was kind of the same same deal. So Have you guys seen the uh, Madonna movie that was shot in Portland with Willem Dafoe? Yeah, uh, Body of Evidence. Yeah. I just always remember that they, ha- they like, had hot wax dripping onto each other's chest. And I was like, oh, that would hurt <laughs> as a kid. They always film the greatest movies in Portland. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Giggles. That was in Milwaukee, but we'll still count it. My mom met Willem Dafoe, like, just on the street when they were filming that, and she still has the autograph. Apparently he has a gigantic wang. Yeah, they had to, like, shoot around. I'm trying to remember. I, uh, no, I'm, I'm trying to remember <laughs> like, what. The, no, they had to, like. It was. Oh, it was, it was Antichrist, right? Yeah, there was something where it was, like, distracting in the film, and they're like, well, they kind of, like, used a stunt dick that was smaller. <laughs> How would you do that? I don't. Did somebody else? I don't know. Maybe I can't probably, remember maybe which film. Tuck it and then, like, put a, a prosthetic on top. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, we'll find something and in, in link in it. <laughs> Google reviews Sophia Blom, student, gives it five stars and says, Indiana Jones is my boyfriend. Doubtful. <laughs> Is, there, is she a college student in the 40s or 30s, 40s? <laughs> yeah. 
And Matthew Zerzolo says, Indiana Jones film very good? Question mark. Okay. Aww. First review, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's looking uh, for it. advice. <laughs> he's like, is, is this how reviews work, I ask? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cool, Jack. Is that it? Uh, I guess you probably didn't forge a letterbox. I didn't because yeah. I didn't rewatch it. But I would give it a solid three and a half out of five. I think it's a fun, a great fun movie, and it's wonderful, and I like it. Yeah. Somehow it's better than Crystal Skull. Yeah. Earlier you said it was the worst of the bunch. No, no, and I it's the worst of the three. The original yeah, trilogy. Yeah, the original okay. trilogy, of course. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. No. I, I, I was a little surprised by that because Crystal Skull. I mean. It's very good, but... <laughs> I, I didn't mind Crystal Skull. Whoa! I mean, it's just a movie. You don't it is all, just a movie. You don't have to get all weird about it. No, yeah. I thought it was kind of fun. But yeah, obviously it wasn't this... It didn't have the ma- the magic of the originals, but... Mm-hmm. Was that with Shia LaBeouf? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah. All right. I don't know. I just remember watching it and being like, yeah, that was okay. Not being like, I'm going to get on an internet forum and trash well, it. Well, how'd you watch it? Where'd you watch it? Did the you, theater. Oh, you went to the theater? You paid money for it and you went to the theater? Sure. Oh, man. Okay. I did the same thing, but I was very upset that I went to the uh, theater and had to pay money. If I was watching it on a plane, I might be like, okay, that movie sucked, but it, 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 it passed three, two and a half hours out of the eight-hour flight. The only movie I left the theater angry about, which was one of the movies I would wanted to do on this podcast, which was AI. Yeah. That movie oh. made me so angry. Like It was the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and I can't believe Kubrick was killed over it by Spielberg, <laughs> right? Is that the story? I think, Na- didn't NASA do that so that they could cover up the moon landing? <laughs> oh, oh, no, so that they could cover up Eyes Wide Shut being a documentary. <laughs> oh, yeah, Scientology did that, I think. Oh, right, okay. I'm learning so much. Tom Cruise. Yes. <laughs> Podcast favorite. And if you like this, check us out on Gitter, on Truth Social, <laughs> all the social media networks. We're the good, the pod, the ugly. But before we go, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, you told us oh, what yeah. guy he would be in uh, The Color Purple. He would be the letter carrier. Who? What would, he, what would you do with him in uh, Last Crusade? Hitler. Hitler! <laughs> I was thinking Hitler because he would definitely like take the time to like learn German and perfect the accent and like read Mein Kampf and everything for like zero dialogue. <laughs> and, and speak like, German the whole day time. on set. Yeah, he would get the yeah. autograph perfect. <laughs> He would force the cast members to only refer to him as Mein Führer. He would not cross his fingers behind his back. They <laughs> <laughs> were offset by Spielberg. My, my second nomination would be the knight who's been stuck in the temple. Oh, that would have been good. I think that would be good. That yeah. would have a great gravitas yeah. there, yeah. Good enough. All right. Thank you, Superstitious Mountains and Weird AI for the theme song. That's Ryan oh, yeah, wonderful Jason theme and song. Wonderful. And Michael. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and thank you, Shannon, for, I don't know, almost two hours of your life that you'll never get. Oh, I guess it, with the movies as well. Yeah, I've, it's been a, my whole week. My pleasure. And then also the technical difficulties earlier. Yeah. yeah. It's been a lot. But I got to pet some cats while I was waiting. So. Um, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, thanks, Ken, for doing the social media, which you can check us out on Gab, Getter, Twitch, whatever you already said, Instagram. Uh, MySpace, I think- LinkedIn. Yep, LinkedIn, uh, Lincoln. Um, our podcast, our uh, letterbox are in the podcast link in the bio in the description or whatever. So check those out. And thank you for listening. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Thomas. Yeah, I hope um, 
at some point, Ken's able to return from the circus after he's dried out. I know it's just going to be a temporary thing. Um, they're going to get another yep. uh, geek there. <laughs> so that, hopefully that uh, all works out for him. You are correct. Um, yeah, I think he'll be back for Tintin, which is a good one. Good. And yeah, no, uh, honestly, I hope he comes back from from the hospital. I hope he's all right. Um, and now he knows to keep my wife's name. I was fucking mouth. <laughs> oh wait, uh, he'll be back for Tokyo Vice, which we're doing Soon. actually maybe before yeah, maybe this even before this one is released. Chronology, yeah, all probably. <laughs> but you're, it is. it's the end of the world. You're listening to us. Enjoy. And if you're in, stuck in a cave somewhere listening, remember drink out of the dusty old cup, <laughs> the wooden one. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Oh shit! Wait, what do I hit? Okay.